You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 212. We should demand in a way that, that we're happy at work because actually it's in everybody's interest. I think sometimes people are frightened about promoting happiness at work. They think people would be playing ping pong, they'd be drinking beer, they won't be really doing the work. And of course, that's one type of happiness, but there's a type of happiness that comes from that. There's a serious type or an inspirational type of happiness where you're working towards a bigger goal or you're curious and you're exploring things or you're interesting. So there's lots of different types of sort of positive emotional experience and happiness. And, and at work, I think we want to have an array of them. There's time for a laugh. There's time for table tennis, but it's only a small percentage of time. And it's about making relationships or, or relaxing after a stressful bit of work. But you've actually got to do that accomplishment. You've got to do the inspiration. You've got to do the curiosity. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Well, hello and welcome to the Star Coach Show. It's great to have you here. I'm Meg Rentschler, your host and executive coach and coach mentor. I am so happy to have you here and happy is exactly the focus of our show this week. And I'm going to be getting into telling you more about the concept of happiness and well-being, and our fabulous guest today, Nick Marks. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But before we go into this week's show, I have a quick question for you, and I would love your feedback on it. Now, for years, I have been offering a mentor program specific to credentialing or recredentialing, usually at the ACC level, you know, ACC coaches have to have 10 hours of mentor coaching as part of their continuing education. And I've been running a really successful program that is lots of fun and gets us together to be able to practice coaching and focus on skill development. And that's been super successful. Even PCCs sometimes join that to get their core competency continuing education and have that opportunity to practice with other coaches and focus on skills, those kinds of things. So that has been lots of fun. One of my favorite things to do. And recently, I've been getting many inquiries about a similar but not same mentor program. And the coaches that have been approaching me are coaches that are either in their coach training programs right now, or have just graduated from their coach training programs. Maybe they haven't taken their oral exam with the ICF yet. Maybe they have, but they still want to be in that place of being able to practice coaching, focus on skill development share challenges and successes, to build their coaching muscles, to build their confidence as coaches. Because, you know, in order to approach clients, in order to feel good about what we do as a coach, we want to be sure that we are delivering a really strong service, that, that our coaching skills 
are there. And I think that that's foundational to building a business as well. So I, it's, it's kind of the same as the program that I have been running for years, maybe slightly different. And the skill level of the, the coaches might be slightly different. So I have been intrigued by an idea of creating a program specific to that population and really helping new, new coaches or coaches in training supplement the training that they've already had by doing a deep dive into skill building. But I would like to know whether that's something that really resonates with all of you. So any of you who are listening, who are sort of at that skill level that I'm talking about, and I get that we're all at different skill levels, even when we're at different places, like every new coach is not at the same skill level. I would love to hear if this is an idea that resonates with you. If you could send an email to Meg at a focus on results.com. That's Meg at a focus on results.com. And just let me know if that idea resonates with you. If that is something that you feel like is missing for you that you would love to have something like that, that will give me food for thought in developing a program. So thanks in advance for your feedback about that. And let's get into this fantastic show that I have for you today with Nick Marks. Nick is the founder and CEO of a company named Friday Pulse. He was described by one client as a statistician with a soul. Nick has been working in the field of happiness and well-being for over 25 years. His resume is very impressive. He has done some phenomenal work, and I'm so pleased that he's joining our show today. In 2010, Nick gave a TED Talk on his previous work in public policy, which has now been watched over, are you ready for this? This is amazing, over 2.3 million times. He, his work was hailed as one of Forbes magazine's seven most powerful ideas in 2011. I will say that that TED talk that I just shared, I actually sent the link in that in last week's newsletter to prep you for the show, just to kind of give you a taste of Nick. So many of you may have already You might be, you know, adding to that 2.3 million times that it's been watched. If in fact you're not getting my newsletters that kind of highlight the show of the week and, and give you foreshadowing for the next week's show, be sure to uh, once again use that email of Meg at a focus on results.com and let me know that you'd like to get the synopsis of the show of the week and then the new, you know, the highlight of the new show that's going to be coming out. I'll be happy to add you to that newsletter list. Back to Nick. As a founder, and as the founder and CEO of Friday Pulse, Nick shares his creative thinking with leading organizations on how positive emotions drive productivity and profit. So when we think about the work that we do as coaches and how we help people tap in to those elements that are going to help them be more productive, happier, have stronger well-being. Nick is going to share with us the processes that he uses, but just in general, how well-being and happiness really do impact organizations 
in wonderful ways. I so enjoyed my time with Nick and I'm excited to share this interview with you. So let's go to my interview with Nick Marks. Nick, welcome to the Star Coach Show. I'm delighted to have you with me today. And I'm really happy to be here too, Meg. You are taught you work in a field that I just believe and have always believed is so important. And so I'm thrilled that you're going to bring some of that to us. And what I would like to start with is just a little bit, if you could share a little bit about your journey that brought you to where you are today and the kind of work that you're doing today. Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm a, I'm a statistician by trade. So I was the geek at school that was good at math. Yeah. And, uh, and I went to university to read mathematics before I'd even really made a decision. And I kind of found out that I didn't like mathematics at university. I, I was an applied statistician. I like numbers and I like solving problems. And so I started to specialize in that. But then I had this quirky side in that my mother was a family therapist. And so I trained as a therapist when I was young too, which was sort of kind of left field for a statistician, but that's what I did. So, and I, I sort of spent some time in counter groups, you know, sitting around in circles, particularly men's groups when I was young and thinking about, you know, how to be a man in a world I found slightly misogynist and how do you, how do you do that? And I was telling them about Excel spreadsheets. And when I was doing my Excel spreadsheets, I was telling them about therapy. So, you know, you kind of like, you know, had this mixture and it, it, it had probably inevitably becomes that I'm the guy that starts to do stuff about measuring experience of life, people's well-being and happiness late, lately. So it sort of was a stumbling into the world, you know, and particularly, you know, I did, I did you know, as a trainer's therapist, I also did a three-year training in um, organizational and group change um, masters. And then I happened to find myself in a think tank in London in that I was doing some other work and they asked me, would I do some work on well-being? This is 2001. And the word was just coming into the UK policy government uh, agendas and no one really knew what it meant. That's kind of an opportunity for a think tank. If you've got a word that people are using and not really knowing what it meant. So we basically started to measure and define well-being and uh, and do work on it and it became exceptionally popular exceptionally influential in the uk policy realm so i used to advise the tony blair government on how to measure well-being david cameron's government you know i was one amongst many advisors i went to bhutan quite a few times and helped them work on gross national happiness so we sort of hit something right before it started to get big and and we had a we had a way of defining the, the metrics that people liked and, and work with and so I did that for about 10 years. I eventually did a TED Talk in that in 2010. A very uh, good TED Talk. I encourage all of you to listen to it. Yeah, and a TED Talk's a really weird thing because you just know it's going to be the video that defines your career. So it's quite scary. You've got 18 minutes to summarize something you've been spending 10 years on. But, you know, I embraced it and actually, you know, got coached in it and, uh, because I felt it was like really important. So I did end up leaving the stage feeling I'd done as good a job as I could. And that's really all you can do. And then after that, I thought, well, actually, policy is very slow moving. I, I mean, I, you know, for people who have ever worked in public policy, it takes a long time to create change. And so I thought maybe I'd try something different as I was sort of getting to my mid-40s and thinking about it. So I, I decided to work in businesses. And, um, and I decided I, I was almost as critical of businesses and how they measure uh, employee experience as I was of governments about how they measure population experience. So I thought I had something to offer. Um, and, and that's what I do now. Yeah. Excellent. And so that is what we had decided that uh, would bring value to this audience. So we know that 
all of you listening are impacting people's lives one way or another as coaches, and many times that's through organizations. So what is it that coaches might want to be thinking about when they think about well-being and happiness and the clients that they work with within organizations? Yeah, I mean, it's a big question. It is a huge uh, question. (laughs) I mean, I, I definitely think about that, you know, that we're individuals that we we work in small groups and then we sit in larger systems. So I'm quite systemic in the way that I think. Mm-hmm. And so, and there are points of intervention there. There's the individual point of intervention, absolutely valid. There is the top-down organizational one. And then there's a sort of middle outwards, you know, inside out one of working with team leaders, leaders in organizations who can influence up and can influence down. And, um, and I think when systems are going to change, and I, I tend to think of us as a system individually, you know, we, we're complex. Um, so, you know, it's, it's looking about how can you work with the, with the complexity of it and how can you nudge people? And ultimately, just like they teach us in therapy, I think it's about learning. It's about, it's about self-awareness. It's about, you know, how do we bring into awareness what's going on? So when, when, you know, I'm sure when, you worked as a therapist. I only worked for a very short time as a therapist. Um, I, I didn't like working alone. Actually, was one of the things I didn't really like about it. You know. Um, you know, and that's interesting because that's that hits some coaches too. Like yeah. being a solopreneur as a coach is not a fit for everybody. So I think what you just said probably resonates with some of the audience as well. Yeah, I, I think it was a. I think I might return to it when I get really old and grey. But I, at the moment, I'm still enjoying working in systems. Anyway. When I was being trained, I, I went to this wonderful older therapist. She was called Nan Naomi. She was actually American, and, uh, but she was in London. And she used to say to me, you know, therapists only really do three things, Nick. You know, they, they listen to their clients. They reflect back to their clients. And then they ask questions that, you know, are challenging that they hope will improve their lives. And it's only those three things. And I think of numbers as exactly the same is that, you know, when you're using numbers and you're in a survey, you're asking people, so you're listening to them. You're then reporting, so you're reflecting back. And then if you're working with it, you're asking them questions which can nudge them on the way. And they're both what we call learning feedback loops in systems thinking. And I think that if you're working with people in organizations, you're helping them learn. That's what you're doing. You're helping them become more self-aware and learn, and that's both at the individual and group level. And I keep saying the group level because I think we're shaped by our environments, perhaps, no, definitely more than we often appreciate. I think we often think we're captain of our own ship and that we're just, you know, we're in control. But actually, there's a whole weather system around us, you know, and if you're, if you're sailing with the wind behind you and benign weather, it's, it's much easier than if you're in a storm and you're whatever. And organizations sometimes are, are, are benign or, or they're really helpful and they're pushing us in the right direction. And sometimes we're fighting against tides, fighting against other people. So those systems around it, I become very interested in how you can create a healthy system, a system that understands itself, sees itself and um, supports people. Um, but you need it all, all, all the levels, really individual group and an organizational. That's so good. And, and you were talking about measurement and survey. And we talked about in our pre-interview about the importance of numbers, not that it's all like that you put all your berries in that basket, but that in fact, numbers really can create validity for people. So can you talk a little bit about how we as coaches or, you know, whoever is working with other people, how we might incorporate some measurement to, to help create some of that, believability maybe yeah 
So I do think that numbers are the language of business. And so we have to speak that language. And I think it's often difficult if you haven't got a uh, empirical case for what you're doing. Now, some people will do it on trust and they sort of believe it and that's fine. But if you want to roll something out, I think numbers are always helpful. Um, And so I've thought a lot about this. I mean, you know, I'm a statistician, so I like complexity of numbers. I like decimal places, you know, (laughs) uh, (laughs) but actually... I think we mainly need a sort of signpost, a signal. Are things getting better or are they getting worse? And, and to, to capture that signal, are things going better or are they going worse, is actually quite simple in a way. Because what you, you know, a, a line manager, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to have a whole in-depth psychometric analysis of their, uh, of their teams. You know, I know there's, there's people that do work, and I haven't got a problem with their statistical work, but I think you can get sort of a bit, paralysis by analysis if you have too much data you know most people even i as a statistician i get lost in data and i think i think it's to be simple is better i've got very keen on on capturing that good bad signal as simply as possible and that's that's actually been a hard statistical journey because you have to give up a lot of your there's an expression kill your darlings isn't there that when you want to be simple you have to kill the things you love and in a way what i had to do was was lose track of the sort of cleverness of lots of my statistical work and go actually for the simplicity but basically what it boils down to is we ask people, you know, I have a company now called Friday Pulse and, and we ask people every week, how have you felt at work this week? Very unhappy to very happy. And that they just answer on a one to five scale. I was going to say, is that a one to five? Okay. Yeah, it's one to five. And there's lots of reasons for that, including the fact if you go use an 11 point scale, naught to 10 is an 11 point scale. People get lost. They don't really know what the difference between a two and a three and a seven and eight is, you know, actually, We've got a rough sense for what good, bad is. And five is about the right number to capture that. And um, so basically we ask people to do that. Are they very unhappy, unhappy, okay, happy, very happy. And, and you, people can answer that question, particularly when it's about a week, when you're saying it, you're remembering an episode of time. And then you get this amazing variable, which goes up and down because, you know, our experience at work goes up and down. And the trick really is to have more good weeks than bad weeks. And also to quickly bounce back from bad weeks which is resilience in action if you're measuring every week you see that as a curve and teams are going to have setbacks individuals are going to have setbacks that's inevitable and actually sometimes good you know in a sense setbacks often are where our learning is you know and ultimately it's about learning and it's about making sure that you know more things are going right than wrong and that you're responding to what you need to respond to so I keep measurement very simple these times. It's not the only way that we do measurement in that we do do what we call a sort of individual happiness profile, which is basically asking people about the key drivers of happiness at work. And that's again, a reflection tool. You know, like when I was starting out as a statistician in this field, I started looking at those sort of magazine quizzes, you know, which you sort of, you know, you do, are you mostly A or B or C? You know how it works out. And then you're something or you're something else. And I thought, well, they're fun, aren't they? You do them and you think, oh, yeah, and that sort of thing. And this, you know, but it's that is a that is exactly that learning cycle of listening and reflecting back. You're giving the data straight back to people. So you're being a mirror to them if you want to use the psychotherapeutic language. And so if you can use numbers to do that, that you can you can do that. So, you know, when people do um, Myers-Briggs or something like that, Mm -hmm. they like doing it. They do it. It comes back. It sort of feels roughly right to them. And I think sometimes you could debate whether there's anything they can do about it because Myers-Briggs is trying to say that you're a set personality, which isn't strictly true uh, and all sorts of other things. But, you know, it's, it's useful. It's fun. I actually am very keen on 
creating that same effect, but for things that you can do something about. So, you know, what, what are, what are the things that aren't, what are the sort of needs not getting met at work and how could you get them met and how could you reflect on that? So, so we've actually, you know, just about to launch something called Friday one at Friday one.com, which will be this individual checkup for people to sort of measure themselves against these key drivers of happiness at work. And I, so I think you can use statistics to do that, do this, help kickstart this reflective process. And that's really what we do. So good. Now, when you ask, and I love Friday Pulse, so you're taking Rudy's Pulse on Friday about the week. And when we do that now for, for you, I don't know what data you're collecting, but I could see for, for the coaches listening, being able to determine for that insight and awareness, what are some of the things that happened over that week that yeah. feed into that data so yeah. that you're getting a picture of what are some of the things that create better well-being than other or the, the obstacles that get in the way or those kinds of things? I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, so precisely that. So basically, I, we asked them the, over, the question like, how's your week been? You know, bad to good. And then we asked them, what was a success for them? But they write that. And basically what I learned was that I used to do, used to do sort of tick boxes, you know, have relationships gone well, has progress of work gone well? Yes, no, yes, no. And try to do statistical analysis on it. But you just felt you were limiting people so much. And also, right. you know, I can write a question, you know, sat in London, you know, but we've got clients in the US and South Africa, Australia, all places, you know, even in UK, you're miles away from the work they do. I can't know what they're doing. Whereas their, their local context about what's going right for them will be very specific. So instead of trying to capture that statistically, allow them to write it and then make sure that's shared with their team and their team leader so that actually the right information goes to the right place in the system at the right time. So, yeah. And I think coaches could use that with this with their individual clients. And it's a really simple thing. And I don't have a tool or product to do this for you. But this is what I would design. It's like, how was your week overall? You know, one to five. You can use naught to ten if you prefer. And then uh, and then I would ask them what's gone well for them, uh, what hasn't gone well for them. Uh, have they got any ideas about how to improve it? Have they got, you know, anyone that's really supported them that maybe they should remember to thank, you know, <laughs> things like that. And just, and, and, and you'll probably- gratitude in, yeah. Yeah, definitely put a gratitude in there. That's, that's what we do. So basically we do those questions in Friday Pulse at a team level. What's the success? Who do you want to thank? What's the frustration? Any ideas? But you could do it goal specific. Like if you're working on goals with a client, you'd write to them, have you done anything towards this goal or that goal? And just get them to spend 10, 15 minutes at the end of every week to reflect, you know, I think we all know this. This is the this is the basis of change is reflection, you know, you know, and uh, it's why things like a, a you know a gratitude diary at the end of each day, three good things or three things you're grateful for, they help you focus on the positive. And you know, as you well know, we have a very strong negativity bias. We tend to focus much more on what's not going right than what is. So creating little nudges, rituals that you do that is what's going to is, is things that is going to help. Yeah, so good and. I'm wondering how do you, the, the people that you're getting to fill in this, this data for you, how do you motivate them to do that, to take those 10, 15 minutes each week to do that? So we are normally operationalized at a, at a system wide. So we basically are either a whole organization or a whole division or a group of teams, and they all do it together. So, and the way that we motivate it is a few ways. One is that we really encourage teams on a Monday to look at their own results. So if you want to, if you're going to be going in a team discussion, you're going to want to put your pennies worth in, aren't you? You know, so, so in a way, 
it becomes in your self-interest to answer. Otherwise, you're talking in a group about something you haven't participated in. So we get that going. The other thing is that we offer, we do a little sort of reward at the end of each flow on a Friday. So Friday only takes, Friday pass only takes two minutes to do on a Friday. But we put a silly question at the end. You know, uh, just purely for fun, we are all about happiness. So we ask people, you know, do you prefer to go on holiday to the beach or on a mountain? So we do a little poll or, you know, do you like hanging the toilet paper this way up or that way up? Uh, you know, and you just get people to have a little argument, basically. <laughs> and, the, and, and the idea is to just get the team laughing or, or you might ask them, what's your favorite film you watched recently? So you're trying to help them learn about each other or what was some hobby you did as the childhood that was really strange or, you know, something about them. And the idea is just to get the group to know each other because we know that, you know, the groups that teams that are bonded well are more productive, more creative, happier, you know, more loyal to each other, all sorts of things. So you're trying to do a little bit of that team bonding, team building at the same time. And so, so we really do it by social motivation as in, you know, helping them, you know, uh, do it. We do a little bit of guilt in the, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll nudge people that they haven't done it. We nudge team leaders that their response rates lower than the organizational average, just sort of slightly nudge them that they need to do something. So we do some, I mean, that's basically behavioral, behavioral psychology in action. Right. So we do some little things like that. But the main thing is really making it in the self-interest of people. People do actually want to be heard in organizations. So it's helping them. It's playing with that energy that they want to have voice to what they're doing. Um, and, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're tool for, for systemizing and gathering employees experience. And when you are able to see what's going well and when things are at that high, higher point, how do you then sort of have conversations about that? So we help, we, we, we basically are more like an accounting package in a firm than we are like a consultant. Mm-hmm. We we, we, we're not trying to be the facilitators. Co- well, we're trying to be facilitators, but using tech. So we're basically uh, a system for um, a platform for measuring and improving employee experience, employee happiness. But we, we don't go into the very specifics of any organization. So basically, that's where we do work with coaches, where we do work with consultants because they will have a particular relationship with a client. And so they will know the detail much more than men, but we're a system that can support them in that journey. They can have data on everything that's going across so that, you know, maybe they're working with one team of leaders. And if the organization did it, they'd understand there were other spots in the organization that needed more, you know, uh, leadership training or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. doing. So we didn't, so we, we wanted to create a system that was, I mean, in one sense, from a pure business model, scalable in the sense right. that when you create a bit of tech that's a that's subscription model, you can scale more easily. So there's a, there's a business reason. But also, you know, going back to my sort of therapeutic training, I'm very aware that facilitation is what you're mainly doing. So trying to create a statistical tool that facilitates and works on its own is going to release that. So the good leaders in an organization will pick, our tool, pick up our tool and run with it and get even better relationships with their teams. One issue is that if people are poor leaders then it's how do you get them to start picking up on some of this? And of course, in organizations, there is a variety of, 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 of leaders. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of what, what uh, some people are called accidental leaders, you know, they kind of got promoted for their tech skills, right. or their seniority, but not their people skills. So, you know, uh, you know, so, you know, it's, they've been there five years, you've got to make them a leader, you know, that's like how they used to choose head boys and prefects at school, isn't it? They've been there a long time, so they must be better. They were not necessarily. Anyway, but 
but you know, so it's how do you help them? And, and so one of the things we really try and do is really support team leaders to have these better conversations on a Monday morning. So whatever level of people skills they've got, they can build on them. And of course that seems to me to be what you're trying to do is help people be better team leaders. Yeah. And so that, that flow, you take your pulse on Friday and then you yeah. talk about it on the Monday, sort of setting up the week to, yeah. and, and as in your experience, you've been doing this a long time, bringing that focus, I like to say looking through that lens at that particular aspect, what does that do to raise awareness about well-being in workplaces? So we, it certainly, I mean, we, there's so much awareness about well-being, isn't there, at the moment in organizations, you know, with COVID and, you know, the pressure on people suddenly working from home and teams being scattered. So you haven't got all that sort of bonding that naturally happens just by bumping into each other. You've got people, we've got such a variety of experiences during the lockdowns of different types of lockdowns all over the US, different types of lockdowns in the UK, but also if you've got young children at home, your experience is very different than if you're like me and your children have left home, you know, it's quite easy for me and my wife, you know, we, you know, we like each other and we live together. It's quite easy. You know, it's not, not disastrous to be locked down six months with her. And, uh, but you know, but for other people who've got bad relationships, whatever, it's been an absolute nightmare. So there's a big variety of experience. And, you know, I've got a space for a desk in the house and some people doing for the kitchen table. So there's all sorts of issues like that. And so well-being has been very up on the topic and I think it will be for the next couple of years. And, and so I think that's just naturally happening within an organization. If they, they start using a product such as ours, then, it's already on the agenda. They haven't employed us unless they've already got that on agenda or they want to bring it on the agenda because, you know, if they were an organization that was still trying to be top down and extractive with their employees, they'd get so much feedback saying that wasn't good that, you know, they wouldn't want it. They wouldn't want to open the Pandora's box if they were really that old style. So we tend to work with progressive organizations that are already enlightened enough to realize that if they make a good experience for the employees, they're going to benefit and the employees are going to benefit. So, but as in the big picture of how do we change the world of work, that's kind of what I want our marketing campaign to be. You know, effectively, I'm a campaigner. You know, I used to work about, you know, well-being and populations also worked on sustainability. How could we create good lives that didn't cost the earth and how do we do that? So I'm by nature a, a you know, slightly provocative campaigner. So, I, you know, what as, you know, as we, we start to get investment in my company and things like that, we'd like to do campaigns on right you know why employee well-being is important you know and and why we should expect we should demand in a way that that we're happy at work because actually it's in everybody's interest i think sometimes people are frightened about promoting happiness at work they think people would be playing ping pong they'd be drinking beer they won't be really doing the work and of course that's one type of happiness but there's a type of happiness that comes from that there's a serious type or an inspirational type of happiness where you're working towards a bigger goal or you're curious and you're exploring things or you're interesting. So there's lots of different types of sort of positive emotional experience and happiness. And, and at work, I think we want to have an array of them. There's time for a laugh. There's time for table tennis, but it's only a small percentage of time. And it's about making relationships or, or relaxing after a stressful bit of work. But you've actually got to do that accomplishment. You've got to do the inspiration. You've got to do the curiosity. And I think that's actually what we like. I mean, work is the place that we get stretched. Most mm-hmm. of us, you know, some people don't. And I've only done jobs in the youth where I was bored. But I think having boring work is, is desperately depressing, you know. So uh, I think we, sh- and we should be against boring work, really. To make work interesting and fun. Excellent. And I would say that 
in counter to, not counter, but maybe in addition to what you said, yes, you might have very progressive companies that are coming to you that already know how important well-being is, but I would argue that your pulse and then the discussion that you have or that, that your data allows companies to have every Monday morning is creating additional awareness about that and is bringing incredible value. I just can imagine the energy that flows from a conversation like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely a tool for changing organizational culture for the better because it, it, it's encouraging people to have conversations that they perhaps didn't have or didn't quite know how to have. And, and, and as I said, I think of things systemically and that's actually going to raise into awareness the issues to be dealt with. And it means that you'll tackle challenges much quicker. You know, if you, if you let problems fester, they become worse. Whereas if you deal with them straight away, we stop them happening. That's much the best outcome. So we're 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 tall for for positively changing organisations. And so you you definitely get some enlightened leaders, whether they're in HR, whether they're on the C-suite, whether they're a division head who want to do this, and it and it does tr- transform the people that report to them. And it delegates it delegates responsibility down, so it doesn't become that they've just got to be perfect and a saint and sort of display everything. It's about actually how do we just get everyone to talk better? And that's actually quite hard because HR tend to be you know, quite focused on, you know, on other issues. And, you know, and it's difficult to, to get down. They, most people in HR would love to do more people work, but they end up doing quite a lot of admin work, you know, quite a lot of compliance, quite a lot of other stuff. And actually, this is actually a tool that helps them do the job they actually really wanted to do, which was to help people, uh, you know, develop and, and enjoy their work more. So good. And I just think about being able to see, like if, if we had a couple weeks where everybody's at a three and a four and a five, and then suddenly we have ones and twos, I mean, it's like, and, and if it's happening systemically, well, what's exactly happening that we need to focus on and shift? So such important work you're doing. As we, as we think about being motivated and increasing our awareness in organizations and and the work that you do to bring numbers to people, to bring measurement to people, and just to be happier and and have more well-being. What have we left on the table? I know we've left probably thousands of things on the table that we wouldn't have time to talk about, but just in this conversation, Nick, what do we want to be sure that we include in your time today? That we haven't yet. So the one thing we probably haven't talked about yet is is what we call the five ways to happiness at work. Is like what are the big sort of positive actions that team leaders, organisations ought to look to sort of embody. And so this is basically work done on the drivers. And and so probably many of your audience are familiar with Daniel Pink and Drive. So he talks yes. about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Yeah. Well, actually, those are great, but he sort of neglects that actually we're very socially motivated, that actually people matter to us an awful lot and fairness matters. So we've got five. So they are connect because relationships are the cornerstones of our happiness. Be fair, which is when systems are unfair. We don't even get to the table. We get angry. We get mad. We feel disrespected. Um, And then they are they do follow Daniel Pink in that we call them uh, empower, which is basically autonomy. Uh, challenge, which is about stretch, uh, and then inspire, which is about meaning, purpose, something bigger. So those those five things connect, be fair, empower, challenge, inspire. And, and we look at, uh, and that's actually what our sort of Friday one checkup is based upon, is answering three questions on each of those and giving you a map about how you can, you know, how you score on those sort of ones, how you compare to other people, 
uh, how you could be better on them. And that forms what we also do in an organization called a culture profile, which is we do those measures all across an organization. You can see which parts of the organization perhaps aren't doing empower well, which perhaps aren't doing connect well. And so you can actually dive in about where, where you might want to, where you're most likely to improve uh, happiness employee experience across the organization. And I think they're just very useful rules. You know, if you're thinking about your own work, you know, and, and in a sense, this is probably why I didn't like working as a therapist. I wasn't getting much connect, you know, because you're working with a client and, you know, the therapeutic one is, is you, you listen to a lot of problems, don't you? And you're, there's a connection there, absolutely. And it can be beautiful, but it's, you know, it's quite one way. You can't draw from your client. That's not appropriate. Yeah. That's not even ethical. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so there's, so when you're working, you know, as a coach, I'm sure that lots of people buddy up with other coaches to have, you know, sort of supervision or informally however they do it talk about their clients and you know and whatever and i think that all that stuff is healthy and you probably know that but people tend to have a deficit in one of those when they're looking to change work you know tend to have a deficit so maybe you do advertising and you haven't got enough meeting you know uh, in, in your work so you move for that but then maybe you move to an ngo and the ngo you know isn't very good at empowerment or something like that you know so there's all these different things that can go on and each organization has a kind of different fingerprint on how they're doing it but it's how they can improve it and so so it's 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 very useful in that and it's very we frame it in positive actions so that instead of saying autonomy we say empower it gives you much more clue of what you can do you know you know so which we're always trying to do things which are just easy to implement so yeah. good. So how can people learn more about what you do and connect with, with you, with the work you do, with the offers that you have? Yeah. So uh, to connect with me, LinkedIn is the best place. So I post in LinkedIn most weeks and I'm easy to find there. So Nick is no K N I C marks and you'll find me putting happiness and Nick marks. You'll get me straight away. <laughs> and then as an organization with FridayPulse.com, we have a, a newsletter we send out every two weeks. You can sign up for that. We have a free trial for anyone in an organization wanting to try uh, Friday Pulse because we're very new data and people need to touch it, see it, feel it. Friday one will be coming, which will be, I'm sure it'll probably be out by the time this is released, but it's, it's a personal checkup for, for, for your own happiness at work. And I also have a personal website, nickmarks.org, which is, well, I used to do my speaking through there, but I, I don't do any public speaking at the moment. And I may never again, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I, I, to be honest, that might be okay. I've done one talk since COVID happened in person. Someone got snuck one in the beginning of September when we opened up before we start closing down again. But I do like doing face-to-face workshops and, but obviously I'm based in London. So, but I, I don't know, it's, I've done a lot of keynotes remotely and I've decided not to charge during COVID for keynotes because it seems like if I'm sat at home, I'm, you know, promoting stuff. So, and, and I also think it's an important thing at the moment because we need to think about how we look after each other at the moment. So I don't really feel like charging for it at the moment, but I have got a business to, 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 to promote. So that's right. quite easy for me to say. <laughs> if it was my only line of business, I'd still be charging. <laughs> right, right. No, so good. And uh, there will be a link in the show notes for this episode for Nick's TEDx talk because it's well worth the listen and gives you food for thought. So Nick, thank you for taking time today to share your expertise with us and to get us thinking about how we can create awareness with our clients about these important things like happiness and well-being and, and the way that we systemically are interacting with one another. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. I 
I don't know that I will ever be not enthralled and amazed and awed by the great work that people do across the world. It's just everywhere you look, there's there's these pieces of greatness. And um, I want to thank Nick Marks for sharing his greatness with us today. If you'd like to know more about Nick or Friday Pulse, go to starcoachshow.com slash 212, and you will find the show notes for today and all of the links that you can connect with Nick. Next week, I am once again, just so honored to bring you a fabulous guest. Dr. Gail Gazelle is joining the show next week to talk about coaching physicians and the kind, the special kinds of challenges that physicians sometimes face. This is really the, the lessons that she teaches in her interview, though, really apply to any high performing individual that you might be coaching. And just in general, those of us who bump into imposter syndrome, those of us who bump into thinking, am I good enough to do this job? Uh, Dr. Gazelle brought great information to the show. And I welcome you back next week to share in her expertise. If you're listening to this show in real time, and you're listening to it the day that it came out, I want to wish those of you in the United States a very happy Thanksgiving as this show comes out the day before Thanksgiving. And I'm thankful and in awe of all of you. And once again, just offer my gratitude for you being a part of my community. If you do have feedback about the program that I was talking about at the onset of the show and want to shoot me any feedback about that, meg at a focus on results.com. I would appreciate that. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rate and review wherever you listen to the show so that more people can find the show and hopefully gain from the incredible experience shared by our guests. Until next week. This is Meg Rentschler wishing you a blessed Thanksgiving and a wonderful week. I'll see you next week.